You want to make a podcast? Do you? <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Emily. And I am Neve. Yeah, this is our podcast, Rowan and Pine. All about the supernatural and the spooky things. And this is our, I think this is our first episode for this, our like special spooky season, right? Yeah, it's our eighth episode overall. But it will be our first episode for Spooky Season. Yes. Our weekly uh, uploads for Spooky Season. So Yeah, so you'll get an upload this week and then an upload next week. You get double the fun, double the trouble. You better be excited for. You better like have booked a week off work. You better have completely shut down your life. You better have cancelled all of your plans just because we are uploading <laughs> once a week yes. for the month of October. <laughs> Just lock yourself in your house. It'll be awesome. Eat some snacks, drink some tea, have some candy that might have razor blades in it. Real Halloween stuff, you know. <laughs> razor blades, perfect. <laughs> so tasty. And definitely true. Just like people giving away drugs, because that's always true. I love the memes that are like, why would somebody give away drugs <laughs> that they paid good money for? <laughs> I was going to say, especially if you're living somewhere where they're not all completely legal, like the stuff you have to go through to get them. <laughs> well, even if if you live somewhere where like marijuana is legal, to go to the store and buy it usually costs more than a dealer. At least that's what I've heard. Like I've never, <laughs> I've never done it, but. <laughs> I would assume so. See, that the whole concept of being able to go to a dispensary and stuff there like that is so funny to me because I've always been of the opinion of like, I... I'm not a target for people selling drugs and I wouldn't know where to go about them. Because <laughs> I'm always like, how do people meet drug dealers? I wouldn't either. I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> where did you find your drug dealer? Yeah, that's exactly how I am. I'm like, how How do you know these people? Like, where do you find, do you Google it? Like, do you look on Yelp? <laughs> Just say no to drugs. I'm never asked. They don't look at me and assume yeah. I like drugs. <laughs> I don't seem like the kind of person. Although from my work in small practice criminal law, um, Snapchat is where a lot of it's happening. And just so you guys know, just because somebody's not screenshotting stuff on Snapchat does not mean that it can't be found and used against you in a court of law. Yeah, I I know all about these things. Yeah, the most hilarious thing is when you see like this whole conversation where somebody's trying to organize a drug pickup and it's like interspersed with some girl with like like real titty selfies. And I'm just like, you're just putting in the work here. <laughs> Are you getting a discount? Like what's going on? Send him a selfie of you in a push-up bra. Now you're asking, is he holding? Like... <laughs> That's amazing. And also, you can't even deny that it's you then because there's like a photo of you in the middle of the chat <laughs> doing duck face. Yeah, for sure. Not good. Not good criminal work to put your face in there. <laughs> Criminals are stupid. They're really stupid. Yeah, a lot of them are. I mean, some of them are really good and scary, but some of them are the milder criminals are just kind of like they don't fully think things through. Yeah, some of them you almost feel bad for them. Yeah, we actually had like a case where there was an organized fight at a petrol station at 3 a.m. and they filmed it. And also part of oh my God. part of the evidence against them was that they had been texting each other about it on WhatsApp. <laughs> It's like, do you think this is never going to come out? Like, what do you think happens to these messages? They're still on your phone. Right. They will find you. <laughs> That's what like so many, I guess, like a lot of stuff in Chicago is really even like not in Chicago. People will record their crimes. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, I just shot this person. It's like, why are you doing this? I... Why are you making it easier to put you in jail? It's so <laughs> crazy. So today... 
I am talking about the Bennington Triangle. Have you ever heard about the Bennington Triangle? No, the only Bennington I know is Chester from Lincoln Park. May he rest in peace. Yes. Not the same thing. Nothing to do with him, I'm guessing. No, not even slightly. Is Bennington a place? It is. Well, okay. So the Bennington Triangle is a name that refers to an area of southwestern Vermont in which a fairly large number of people have disappeared. Not only have there been strange disappearances, but there are also many Bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings, and Native American legends that the mountain in the middle of the triangle, the Glastonbury Mountain, is cursed. Oh, I like this already. Well, I was going to say, what do you think about that? (laughs) Hands rubbing together. It's pretty cool. So it's like a landlocked Bermuda Triangle kind of thing. Yeah, it's in the middle of the woods. So, Glastonbury, Vermont which the mountain was named for, is now a ghost town. The town was charted in 1761 by a man named Benning Wentworth. He was a pretty big asshole trying to create a bunch of towns in then unestablished Vermont. He was trying to compete with New York State. So this guy had like no clue what he was doing. He just like took out a map and was like drawing lines on it. Like here's a town and here's a town. (laughs) And he wasn't factoring in the terrain. Like it's very mountainous. And, you know, it's not very easy to just, like, map out a town because then you've got, like, a mountain cutting through it and stuff like that. Yeah, because Vermont is, like, Canada light. That's what I just think of it. It's like, Canada light? It's like a little mini Canada. <laughs> yeah. Diet Canada. It's not the strong Canada. It's not full fat Canada. It's Diet Canada. <laughs> diet Canada. So they've got a little bit of the lib- liberal politics. Yeah. They have Bernie Sanders, who's, like, spiritually Canadian. <laughs> And then they have all those beautiful, like, scenery and stuff. Yeah. It's little Canada. Yeah. And Canada is America's hat. (laughs) Very large hat. (laughs) That's geography with Neve. Um, American geography (laughs) with your local Irish. (laughs) That's about as much as I know. (laughs) So because of all the trees, the town of Glastonbury embraced the lumber and coal industry. It became more populated with South Glastonbury becoming the heart of the town, with the headquarters of most of the charcoal operations located there. The town really quickly grew. They built homes as well as schoolhouses and even a railroad to export and import the... Well, I guess it would be more like exporting like the lumber down the mountain to people who need lumber. Mm -hmm. The lumber lumber files. Lumber sexuals. Lumber sexuals. (laughs) Oh, no. We don't judge. (laughs) They eventually log the town to death because you can only cut down so many trees before there are no trees left. So they tried to make money by turning it into a tourist destination. They built a hotel and a casino and had a successful first season in the summer of 1897. Because of the extensive logging, the lack of trees caused enormous flooding from the mountain. The floods essentially washed away the town, making Glastonbury a ghost town. Freaking love ghost towns. Spooky ghost. There's no money. (laughs) We're poor. (laughs) Their economy has collapsed. We cut down too many trees. (laughs) Their birth rates were declining. (laughs) The strangeness of the Bennington Triangle was first reported in 1867. There was an alleged wild man who would come down from the mountain, open his coat, and expose himself to women. No! Sometimes brandishing a revolver to intimidate, and then he would flee back up into the mountain, into the forest. Okay, lad. Like, 
it's not bad enough that you're traumatizing them with your your Mickey there. You're bringing a gun as well. Right. It's not, not bad enough. We only need one revolver here. Jesus Christ. <laughs> was it trying to distract? Yeah, don't don't bring your other gun, please. Was it a little snub-nosed one so it made the other one look bigger? <laughs> the way you worded that, it's like he came down specifically just to do this. Like, he wasn't running any other errands. He didn't have to, like, get bread or anything. The reports seem like that's kind of what he was doing. It was people kind of like the town would talk about this guy and they would say that like they assumed he lived in a cave he was always very disheveled he didn't look very clean cut or anything like that and he would just like come down out of the forest you know blast his penis to everybody and then just like flee back into the forest it's like what are you doing and it was dirty and unwashed god that makes it even worse (laughs) it smelled maybe he lined up his like bath day with you know, when he was going to be going down. Like, I'm sure he was all squeaky clean. <laughs> oh my goodness. That would be very kind of him. But judging by the fact that he um, likes exposing himself to women and also putting a revolver in their faces or whatever he did, it kind of seems like he doesn't really care if he showers. What a dick. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no, actually, no pun intended. <laughs> and this is when uh, murders start happening. On April 4th, 1982, a mill worker named Henry McDowell had a fit of rage and murdered John Crowley by striking him over the head with a piece of wood. He fled the scene but was later apprehended. Henry was not acting right and claiming to hear voices in his head. Because of this, he was sentenced to the Vermont State Asylum in Waterbury, where he later escaped and was never seen or heard oh, from Jesus. again. Oh, Jesus. That's like that's bad times if you're losing a patient and then they're just never seen or heard from again. Yeah, especially if they're bashing people over the head with like, a Jesus piece of Christ, wood. Christ, and hearing, <laughs> hearing voices, it's like, yeah, let's just bring this guy to the asylum. Probably not give him any, like, adequate care. Yeah. And then, like, I don't know, maybe he came, became one of those melon heads or something. <laughs> I was thinking that, too. I saw this, and I was like, he's probably a melon head He's, like, this their day. King, the only big one among them all. Also, I wrote that it was in 1982. It was actually, I think, in 1892. It was not in the 1980s. <laughs> So, sorry about that. On the opening day of hunting in 1897, this is 1897, not 1997, or 1987. I hope people aren't hunting in 1997. They are still hunting. Actually, they probably are. (laughs) Oh, that makes me sad. So, in 1897, this was the first ever hunting season in Vermont. 40-year-old John Harbour was out hunting with his brother and family friend. John was murdered at his deer camp in Bickford Hollow, which is a remote area of South Glastonbury. The two men that John was with heard a rifle blast and then John crying out that he had been shot. The men tried to look for him but couldn't locate him until 11 a.m. the following morning. They found him with his legs sticking out from underneath a cedar tree, his loaded gun beside him as if it were set there purposefully. The men realized that John was a fair distance from where he had been shot. They wondered if he had crawled there or if he was placed there by the shooter. There was no indication that he crawled or walked to his final resting place, and it remains a mystery to this day. This whole thing where, where people are, like, posed in certain ways or, like, they're left in certain ways, and you're like, what did you see before you died? Like, who put you there? Yeah, it's creepy. Quite a bit later in 1943, this is, we're uh, swinging up to the 40s, um... <laughs> The 1940s. Cue some big band music in the background. (laughs) (laughs) It's my sound effect. I love it. So quite a bit later, in 1943, there was a man named Carol Herrick who had been on a hunting trip 10 miles north of Glastonbury when he went missing. 
He was found there three days later, surrounded by large, mysterious footprints, and it was determined that he was squeezed to death. <gasps> it's <What>? getting creepy. <laughs> Holy fuck, what a way to go. Squeezed right? to death. I'm Ooh. like, did Bigfoot come and be like, I want a hug. Yeah, he just got completely lenny to death. Poor lonely Bigfoot just killing people because he wants love. He's just lonely and he's just looking for a nice guy to hug and kiss. <laughs> well, I don't know. So then there was like a string of disappearances. So between 1945 and 1950, five people went missing. The first of them was a 74-year-old man named Mitty Rivers. He was on a weekend hunting trip in the mountains with four other hunters. On the morning of November 12th, Mitty and his son-in-law, Joe, were walking in the woods together when they came to a fork in the road and went separate ways. Mitty told Joe that he wouldn't be gone long and would join the group for lunch. By three in the afternoon, the group still had not seen Mitty, so they went out to search for him. They weren't able to find him, so they notified the authorities and extensive search was carried out. The only thing they found that could have belonged to him was a single rifle cartridge that was found in a stream. He was never seen again. Never found his body. Nothing. Whoa. Holy fuck. The second person to go missing was a young woman named Paula Weldon. Paula was 18 and a student at Bennington College. Friends that were close to Paula said she had been acting somewhat depressed. She didn't go home for Thanksgiving. On December 1st, 1946, she was working at her school's cafeteria and decided to go for a hike in the mountains once she was off work. Her roommate Elizabeth said that she had come back to the room, spoke for a bit, and then Paula left for her hike around 2.45 in the afternoon. She said that Paula was wearing a red parka, jeans, and sneakers, which is not really proper clothing for a winter evening in Vermont. The average night would have temperatures that dropped below freezing. Around 3 p.m., a man named Louis Knapp said that he picked up a young woman hitchhiking who matched Paula's description. He picked her up just outside of the college entrance and dropped her off on Route 9 near the Long Trail, which is where the young woman said she wanted to go. The final sighting of Paula was around 4 p.m. by a few residents and, more specifically, a man named Ernie Whitman, who, when he saw Paula headed for the trail, warned her that she wasn't properly dressed for the weather. She ignored his words of advice and kept on towards the trail and was never seen again. Oh, God. Although I feel like if some man like commented on what I was wearing, I'd be like, fuck you, Ernie. I'm going anyway. <laughs> this was in the 40s. I don't know if women still felt that way, but like yeah. maybe. So, yeah, I, I'm sure he had the best of intentions, but... um, Yeah, a lot of uh, incels and neckbeards would say that we've become quite disorderly and bitchy. Yeah. It's crazy that she she wasn't seen, like, even though she was wearing, like, a red parka. Because you think, like, something like that, she'd be pretty easily spotted in the woods, right? Right. You would think that that color would stand out in the woods. But, but Paula's roommate, Elizabeth, was worried when Paula didn't show up that night, but felt that she could be in the library studying. So she didn't notify anyone working at the college until the next day. Paula's parents came to town to work with authorities and students to carry out search parties, and no traces of Paula were ever found. The third disappearance was James Tedford. James went missing three years to the day after Paula Weldon went missing. Ooh. That's one thing that's really weird is like a lot of these people went missing in like October. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is it a cult? <laughs> there could be a Bigfoot cult. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They're like every year on the 25th of October. <laughs> that we go and see Bigfoot and then we um, we kidnap a person. So James was a veteran who was on a bus ride on his way back to Bennington Soldier Home after visiting family when he was last seen. Other passengers on the bus recalled seeing him at the last stop before Bennington. His belongings were still on the bus in the luggage rack and the open bus schedule still on his seat. 
The fourth person to go missing was eight-year-old Paul Jepson on October 12th. Again, October. Oh, God. 1950, Paul was accompanying his mother to go feed the pigs that were at a dump site that his parents were in charge of caring for. His mother left him in her truck for about an hour while she tended to the pigs, and when she came back, he was gone. Search parties never recovered the boy. Bloodhounds were said to have traced his scent to a local highway but lost it at the side of the road. Oh, God. Mm Mm-hmm. The fifth and final person in the streak of disappearances was 53-year-old Frida Langer. Just 16 days after Paul Jepson disappeared, Frida Langer went missing. Frida and her cousin Herbert decided to go on a hike near their family's cabin, where Frida's husband stayed as the cousins went off on their hike. At some point during their hike, Frida slipped and fell into a stream. She was soaking wet, so she decided to go back to the cabin to change and told Herbert that she would catch up with him in a bit. A fairly long time had passed, and Frida still hadn't joined Herbert, so he decided to turn around and go back to the cabin. When he got there, Frida's husband was surprised that she was not with Herbert, and he was also surprised that she was not at the cabin with the family. Unfortunately, when Frida was discovered, it was May 12, 1951, so seven months after she had disappeared. She had been found deceased and she was three and a half miles from her family's cabin. Authorities were unsure of how she showed up here, as it was a place that they had previously searched multiple times. (gasps) Due to the state of her remains, they were unable to determine a cause of death. Oh my god. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I, like, some reports said that her body was, like, pretty, like, mangled. Mm. And, which I think, you know, that could be just, like, animals in the woods or something like that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that with the decomposition and all of that. But it's crazy that, like, so apart from her and the first guy, they are the only ones that remains were found. Is that right? She was the only one whose remains were found. Oh, yeah, because, no, I'm thinking of the guy that was, like, posed under the tree. Or, like, his, his, uh... Yeah. Um, so he wasn't exactly a disappearance. It was just, like, the, the next morning he was found. But that's so crazy. Right. And these, Three and a half miles away. Right. And these five people who went missing, they went missing between 1945 and 1950. So it was like a really short mm-hmm. period of time where like multiple people went missing and were never seen again. Yeah. So it, like if there's a culprit, it's like possibly the same culprit. There were like some people were speculating that it might have been a serial killer in that area. Mm-hmm. But like they never caught anybody. They never found any evidence to indicate that. So it was kind of like it's just a theory it's not really anything that has it's also like a a big range of people you've got like the little boy and like men and women and and all of that so like it's not yeah like the oldest was 74 and then the youngest was nine yeah and because yeah with serial killers they usually kind of have like a type yeah but this is just these people were all very random the only thing that was that they had two of them had in common was the little boy um paul and then the she was like 18 paula paul and paula their names are close but they both were wearing red jackets oh there's something really sad about that like them both wearing red jackets like little boy because it's just making me think of like that kid from it in the yellow jacket we all float down here yeah there are also reports in october 1981 of a trio of hunters who went out to hunt in the forest and they were never seen again so they're also disappearances but they weren't in like that short stretch of from 1940 to 1940 or 1945 to 1950 so what happened what's going on in the beddington triangle Mm. this is like my favorite part the other part is like a little more true crimey but this stuff this stuff is more like rowan and piney (laughs) yeah (laughs) native americans said that the glastonbury mountain was cursed 
They said that they would only ever enter the area to bury their dead, and even then it was at the foot of the mountain. They would never go up the mountain. There's an Algonquin legend that says there is a malevolent stone that would open up and swallow anyone who was unlucky enough to step on it. Pretty interesting. Oh my god. A man-eating stone. <laughs> Shit, I've never heard that before. Right. All the creatures that like you, you hear of, but like a freaking man-eating stone. You got Mothman, you got the Jersey Devil, you've got Chupacabra, and then you have the man-eating stone. <laughs> Yeah, now we have to be afraid of that. Thanks, Emily. <laughs> only, only if you're in the Bennington Triangle, so just don't go there. But what if I'm so, invited to a Native American funeral? <laughs> These are real concerns. You <laughs> because you have so many Native American connections. Yeah, <laughs> all of my Native American <laughs> friends. Oh my goodness. The Abenaki, which online it says they're the Abenaki, also the Wabanaki. I'm not really sure which it is. It's probably some white people mistranslated it. I know. It's very frustrating because it's hard to really get to, you know, real answers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they believed that their god, I don't know how to pronounce this. I was scouring the internet, could not find the pronunciation. So the Wabanaki's god, Tabaldak, mm, I think that's how you say it, lived at the peak of the Glastonbury Mountain. They also believe that the mountain is cursed because the four winds meet at the peak and change direction erratically. Oh. The Wabanaki also have legends of a large, hairy, half-human, half-man creature who lived in the region and threatened the inhabitants. So, hello, Bigfoot. Yeah. So, like, that's something that, like, they had in their legends long before any of this ever happened? Correct. Wow. Which makes it all seem a lot more real. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of sightings of a Bigfoot-like creature known as the Bennington Monster. The first documented sighting was in the early 1800s. This story goes that there was a stagecoach traveling through the Green Mountain National Forest, but it had to stop because one of the main roads was flooded. The stagecoach driver pulled over so he could get out and get a better look at the roads. When he did this, he saw large, spaced-out footprints in the mud. He called to the passengers to have them come and take a look to see what they thought of these footprints. As the passengers started stepping out, the horses began to panic, and within moments, the stagecoach was hit multiple times and ultimately pushed over by a large creature. <gasps> Holy fuck. I know. The passenger said that they saw a large, hairy man-like creature around eight feet tall with glowing eyes. They said that he growled and then walked back into the woods. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Grumpy bastard, too. <laughs> He's so pissed off he tipped over a stagecoach. He's like, I'm taking a fucking nap here and you're coming here with your <laughs> big wooden noisy box on wheels stupid horses <laughs> maybe he was trying to save the horses maybe he's like these are my horse friends and yeah. you're making them do manual labor yeah he's like fellow creatures don't worry <laughs> yeah he's up for like horse workers rights <laughs> equine rights yeah the more sightings that occurred reported that the figure was tall over six feet and covered in black hair so their Bigfoot oh. is a dark guy. He's got black hair. It's estimated that around 40 people have vanished in the Bennington Triangle. Some people think it could be the work of a serial killer, but many others believe it to be paranormal. A man named Robert Singley is one of the handful of people who reported getting a strange dizziness or confusion within the Bennington Triangle. Robert said that he got lost when everything crescendoed into this weird sort of dizzying confusion. It just suddenly got dark, and then it was like... Where am I? What's going on? Robert said that he sought shelter under a large maple tree, which was, again, quote, expelling a weird haunting energy. He waited out the night and was able to walk out of the forest in the morning. Whoa. 
that's what I was seeing is there was like a lot of reports of people who had gotten lost there and would get just get like super disoriented and like dizzy and like they would it would get really foggy and the trees would appear to be like growing in different directions and they just would have no clue how to get out. Oh my god. It's like the mountains almost like protecting itself or like the like the the landscape there is protecting itself. It's just like we don't want you to go any further in the direction that you're going, so you're going to be disoriented as fuck. And then yeah. it's interesting then that like the next morning they can get their bearings again. Right. And they're able, able to go. Yeah. It's so interesting how it's like honestly, uh if you're a hunter, I would suggest not hunting in this area. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and just like i feel like people should just not go on these trails at all don't go near the mountain i know it sounds intriguing but just like stay away maybe at the very least there might be might be like some weird magnetic earth thing convergence of energy there that it's just like not conducive to people it kind of messes with your brain messes with your senses yeah. and because i mean you need your sense of direction in the forest you need your you need to be able to like find your way at least back to where you were like maybe that's like that lady who was found like three and a half miles away, like maybe she got completely disoriented, like yeah. when she was going back to the cabin and just got lost. Like it could have been something like that if it wasn't a creature or a right. serial killer. Yeah, I saw a guy who he went because he was trying to like kind of like investigate these things and investigate the area. And he was saying that him and his friend were hiking and then all of a sudden like this huge awful storm came out of nowhere it was like a clear day and then it just like started the storm and they like sheltered in place and then they like walked back down the mountain and when they got down the mountain it was clear again it like looked like it had never rained and they were talking to like a gas station attendant and they were like oh yeah there was no storm down here and they were like what are you kidding like there was like a wicked storm up there Holy fuck. Yeah, which is like, you know, it could be supernatural or paranormal, but it could also just be that like the weather up there is so unpredictable and awful that it can easily just like throw you off. Like maybe like um, there's probably some element of scientific truth to the whole thing where like all the winds meet and blow, change directions or something like that. It could be like whatever strange like physical shape of like the mountain and like the way the land is that actually does like with air pressure right. because you get like storms when the air pressure changes and like that's when the clouds come in and, and all of that yeah yeah because if you have winds change in direction that usually causes i think that's when tornadoes form is like you have like two storm fronts that like hit and then they cause the mm-hmm. the spinning and like the cyclone it's so crazy that there's like the tornado corridor in america yeah. so like that's that's the place where all the tornadoes happen at once because obviously whatever way the land is, the air pressure, it's causing the air pressure to move around so much. Yeah. And that's why you have so many, it's like the perfect place for tornadoes to form. So at the very least, this this triangle is like the perfect like environment for the, all this really fucked up stuff to happen weather-wise. And then you have all the other stuff. Maybe it's attracting fucking cryptids. Yeah, strange things. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like the upside down Hawkins in Stranger Things. It's just perfect place for all this messed up stuff to happen. Yeah. Residents of the Bennington area have reported a lot of UFO sightings as well. As we talked about, I think the last episode, UFOs are also now known as UAPs, which stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. So what they've reported are floating lights and oddly shaped flying aircrafts that resemble glowing silos. Some people believe that the disappearances are due to extraterrestrials kidnapping people in the Bennington area. 
The author John A. Keel proposed that the Bennington Triangle is an area in which the boundary between our dimension and another dimension is very thin, which is why there are mysterious disappearances, strange creatures being seen, as well as a large amount of UAP sightings. John Keel calls this area, or he calls these areas, window areas, places where reality is distorted. Oh. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. So just like what you were talking, like it's... Yeah, maybe that's an explanation for it. Yeah. It's like a dimensional window. Right. Yeah, and as we were just talking about, um, the Glastonbury Mountain is known for erratic, dangerous winds and weather patterns. It is suspected that this could be the reason for many people to go missing. When the wind changes direction, it's a lot easier to get disoriented. The strange wind patterns also cause the plant life and trees to grow in different directions all over the mountain. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's even like, even the terrain is fucked up. Jesus, it sounds like it's not even of Earth. It's like a different planet. Like you're you're going through vegetations growing like in all different directions. The wind's going nuts. The weather's changing. Just uh, which is what the John A. Keel, the author, it's kind of like how he was saying that like this could be a weird place where you know, like the line between the dimensions is really thin and it's hard to know what's real and what's not. And then we got aliens and Bigfoot and everybody's coming through. <laughs> Yeah, who knows what's spilling out of there. Anywho, so that was the research on the Bennington Triangle. How do you feel about it? I like it. I love that I learned about something I had no concept of. There was a podcast series that came out last October with Misha Collins and Nathan Fillion in it. And it was giving me a lot of kind of... I'm wondering, were they heavily inspired by the Bennington Triangle? Oh hi, it's Neve the Editing Demon here. I realised I talked at length about this podcast and never actually said the name of it, so to save you Google, uh, it's called Bridgewater and it's from Grim and Mild and it's really good and hopefully there'll be a season two. Yeah, okay, back to the show. It's this whole thing of like people are like going into the woods and they're disappearing and then there's a lot of cult stuff in that too. It's like an audio drama. There's a Native American tribe who was trying to warn people away and there's weird markings carved into the rocks and stuff. And then a lot of people keep saying that they're seeing uh, UAPs in the woods. They should actually have a season two coming out soon, hopefully. Because if it was a whole year ago. Sounds like it would be inspired by this. There also, I guess, was an episode of Lore. I think it said called like the Two two Red Jackets or something like oh, that. Oh, that actually rings a bell. Yeah, I'm having to catch up on lore because I like it stopped popping up in my feed, so I stopped listening to it. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh, interesting. There's a few different things where it's popped up in the past. So I think you like you might have heard of it, but not really heard of it like in depth. Yeah, not knowing like the name of it. This story has everything. It has missing children, UAPs, Native American tribes, maybe some Bigfoot. <laughs> You're right. Murder, mystery. I always think in places like that where there's like a string of disappearances, it's also a very good place to bring somebody if you want to kill them. <laughs> hey honey, let's go camping in this beauty spot that when you go there, your ears start buzzing and you can't remember where you are. It's really cool. And then, yeah, I don't know what happened. It was only on one of the articles that I read. There was this theory that um, the girl, the 18-year-old girl, Paula Weldon, 
that her dad brought her to the woods and killed her. Oh, my God. Because people were saying, like, he was acting kind of weird about, like, the search and stuff like that. And he was, like, saying something about how he was, like, connected with a bunch of police departments. And people were skeptical and thinking that he purposely brought together a search party and was kind of like, yeah, just, like, look around a little bit. But, like, if you don't find anything, it's no big deal. (laughs) But I couldn't find anything else that, like, backed this up. Mm Mm-hmm. It seems like it could have been just something that, like, I don't know, maybe people were kind of like, oh, maybe it was her dad. Could have been, like, local gossip at the time. But there's also, like, right what we know about, like, grief now is, like, people deal in really weird ways sometimes. Right. Maybe it was like, my daughter's not really missing, so there's no reason to really look for her because, like, she's going to come back. So, like, don't worry about it. You know, complete denial. Yeah. You know? I saw a couple a couple articles talking about how her dad was convinced that she had like a secret boyfriend and like ran off with him oh okay so like that could have been part of his grief he could have been just kind of like there's no way she like died out there alone she's like off with somebody that she wants to be with yeah it's yeah it's a much better ending for her from his perspective right Because, yeah, I don't think anybody would want to, like, imagine their child, like, cold and alone in the woods and something bad happening to them. The little boy as well, because you were saying, like, the person before him had disappeared from a bus. So it's like, is that somebody who, like, got off at a stop and just didn't get back on? Or is this people, like, that are being lured out of a bus? Did they see something? Was the little boy lured out of the car? Did he see something? Oh, yeah, James Tedford. He was the man who went missing from the bus. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, it's weird because people said they saw him like on the bus after the bus made its last stop. So he was like there and then he just like wasn't there. Oh, my God. He just like disappeared into thin air. Like he had people who were at the like the final bus stop where he was supposed to get off. People who are waiting for him and they Mm -hmm. just like never saw him get off the bus. Oh, my God. So it's really weird because it's like if they saw him on the bus... After the last stop, like, people recalled talking to him. Mm. And then he's just not there at the final. Like, it's so weird. It's and just, all of his stuff was still on the bus? Yeah. Because it's like, if he got off, like, a stop early, yeah, you could get that. Even if he, like, got off to have, like, a smoke or something, and then, like, the bus left without him, that wouldn't explain people seeing after seeing him after that. Right. And then, like, the little boy, and they were able to track his scent to the highway, and it's like, did somebody pick him up? Like, that's that's what you kind of have to insinuate, or, like, you have to assume. There was somebody who was talking about that, and they were like, okay, yeah, sure, we can paint it. Like, it's this big mystery that this boy just, like, disappeared, but also he could have been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And that could have been why, like, somebody could have been waiting on, like, the highway with their car, grabbed him, brought him to the car, and that's why they didn't track his scent any further than, like, the side of the road. Like, to go take it to a really dark place, like, a hit and run. Oh, yeah. Could he have gotten, like, knocked down and somebody, like, completely fucking panicked and was like, holy shit, what do I do? Gotta get rid of the evidence. Oh, yeah, they, like, pick him up and then bring him bring him somewhere else yeah who knows all a mystery yeah. but it's pretty intriguing to learn about the other stuff like with the bigfoot and people saying that oh i just like was on the mountain and got super dizzy and didn't know what was going on and all of the folklore like the native american folklore that's passed down like folklore is at its core it's like lessons and warnings this is a place that you shouldn't spend too much time here you shouldn't fuck with it too much you should respect this place 
So even if right. if it isn't like a Bigfoot or something like that that's there, there's clearly a reason why all these generations of people wanted their descendants to stay away, not go to the Glastonbury Mountain or, you know, spend too much time in the woods because like... Right, like the folklore serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. If you tell people don't go up there it's kind of dangerous they're kind of like yeah yeah whatever but if you're like there's a rock that will swallow you they're like oh yeah that's pretty scary (laughs) yeah it's like the ultimate boogeyman in the woods and it feels like especially when it comes to i feel like every episode we somehow bring up colonization (laughs) but like you come to this new land there's people who have lived on this land for way longer than you've been there And they're telling you, I don't know if they ever said that mountain is dangerous, but they said that it's cursed and that they don't go there. It's like, you should probably listen to those people because they know what they're talking about. They've been here for a long time. Yeah. Does this remind you, I know it definitely when you were saying that reminded me of the Dyatlov Pass incident. Were locals telling them like not to do it? Yeah. They called it like in like the native language of the local like native population. It was something like Death Mountain or... Or something like yeah. that. And they were like, yeah, don't go there. And they were like, oh, no, we're, we're going to go. These people have been here first. They've been here a long time and they're trying to tell you. Yeah. Don't you don't need to have an ego about it. If it's like that's what gets me so much about this stuff is that, you know, especially with like the Dyatlov Pass and stuff, people are like, no, I have to conquer it. I have to be the one. It's like, how about you just not? <laughs> <laughs> the first guy who climbed Mount Everest and they asked him why. And he said, because it's there. Whereas, like, I can't relate. I'd be like, okay, it's a big mountain and you're probably going to die up there. I'll stay down here. (laughs) Right. If somebody was like, oh, there's this little mountain. It's really fun to climb up. Most people survive when they climb this mountain. I would maybe think about it. But when it's like, no, almost everybody dies on this mountain. I wouldn't be like, let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds so good. (laughs) Edmund Hillary is that guy's name. Sorry. I don't know. (laughs) That just came back to me. That that Edmund Hillary quote where he talked about like, that's why he climbed Mount Everest because it's there. Hope you die up there, Edmund. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did lose a lot of people, I think, on the way. Oh, no. There's a a mountain in my county, which is like, you know, the tallest mountain in the county. And loads of people climb it because it's easy-ish to climb. You know, you don't need a whole lot of mountaineering experience and... Like the sunrise mm-hmm. from the top of it is really beautiful. That I can see a reason for climbing. Right. <laughs> Not this other one that's just like, yeah, the dead bodies are the way that you know you're going the right direction. Just use that dead body as right. a marker. Climb over the bones. <laughs> and there's this like, there's a race of people that are uh, evolutionary equipped to be better at climbing the mountain and they are the people that are going to guide you up the mountain but you know you go up there with all of your uh equipment and uh you try to do the same thing that they do that's another thing that's sad about that too is the what are they called not shaman i don't know why that's the only like (laughs) word sherpas yeah and you're making them do it like i know because you have your big old ego come on There was like that documentary. I think it's just called Sherpa. They're interviewing them and there's some of them that are like their families are saying that like, you know, it's detrimental to their health and like we never see him and all of that kind of stuff. But it makes them so much money. And some of these people are living in such like abject poverty that you can't say no. Like it would be ridiculous to turn down that amount of of money if your family are struggling. Yeah, it's sad. It like puts them in a position where they kind of have to do it and have to say yes. Yeah. And the most like infuriating thing about that whole documentary is like 
There are certain times where the Sherpas, just like we're talking about, are saying, no, these aren't good conditions for climbing. We don't want to climb the mountain today. And like, there's all these fucking Western millionaires going, oh, but I paid so much money though. Oh my God. And you're just like, fine, go up yourself, you dick. And they've climbed the mountain like eight times, but like, who do you read about in the newspapers? Yeah. (laughs) Not the Sherpa who's done it 10 times. Yeah. (laughs) The moral of the story is trust the natives. Folklore has a purpose. (laughs) When there are markings and when the land is telling you to get the fuck out, maybe you listen to the land and the natives and maybe you don't go there. Maybe just like turn around if you're not equipped for it. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what's also nice? Staying home. (laughs) Blankets. Not climbing mountains. Not going for hikes in weird forests. (laughs) Yeah. With cursed mountains. Have some fluffy socks, do some kitchen witchery, (laughs) make some nice tea in a massive pot, do some crochet. Do something at home. Yeah. Put your hair in some heatless curls. I don't know. (laughs) Heatless curls. Get a hobby. Learn how to draw. Stay out of the woods that are kicking you out. (laughs) Maybe just listen to podcasts like this that talk about all the people who did not listen and who went in anyway. Yeah. Idiots. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for teaching me all about the Bennington Triangle that has nothing to do with Chester from Lincoln Park. Yeah. I hope that other people found it interesting. If you did, hit us up maybe. I don't know. Or don't. Well, especially if you didn't. Like, you know, there are plenty of other podcasts out there you can listen to, but like, please also listen to us. Please love us. You can catch us next week because we're in the midst of spooky season. And next week we are going to be covering something which I have not decided yet. You can catch us on our Instagram if you're ever wondering about our upload schedule. Uh, We're at Rowan and Pine on Instagram. We're also on Facebook if you just search Rowan and Pine Podcast on Facebook. And TikTok on Rowan Pine Pod. You can also email us at rowanandpinepod at gmail.com. If you have spooky stories that you want to share with us, if you want to correct any of my pronunciation from this episode, because I know I probably messed a couple things up. Yeah, I've definitely um, messed up pronunciations before. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We'll always stand corrected. Scream at us over email. Yes. And then spell it out phonetically. Or send us a voice clip. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, so I have been Neve. I'm Emily. And fuck yeah, folklore. Fuck yeah, folklore. And this was Rowan and Pine. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. See you next week. (laughs) 